Welcome to episode 117 of the STEM Space. I'm Natasha, and today's episode tackles the important topic of having a supportive and inclusive learning environment for all students. I have an incredible conversation with Nicole Collins-Pori, a social justice visionary and advocate who is the CEO of TechBridge Girls, a nonprofit that empowers girls from low-income communities to pursue STEM careers and achieve economic mobility and financial security as adults. Nicole shares her own journey in STEM, why belonging matters, and resources for educators. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the STEM space. I have a very special guest today. I have Nicole, who is the CEO of TechBridge Girls. Nicole, welcome to the STEM space. Thanks, Natasha. It's great to be here in the space. Yeah. Where are you joining us from? I'm joining you right outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I hope it's not as hot as it is in Texas. No, it actually is a beautiful, it's like mid eighties today, a nice little sun glimpse. Yeah. It's nice being out of the heat wave. Yeah. We're currently under heat advisory. It's like heat index of 109. (laughs) Just stay inside. So anyway, um, well, thank you for being here. And I hope today we can talk about TechBridge Girls, what you do, a little bit of your story. Our audience is mostly K-12 STEM teachers, um, and I want them to know about this awesome organization. But first, a little bit about you. So TechBridge Girls is all about STEM. As a kid growing up, were you into science and engineering and building things? Well, it's a really good question, and it has been uncovered as Mm -hmm. I've been working with TechBridge Girls. I would have told you if you asked me this question seven years ago, I would probably be like, no, I wasn't a STEM person. I actually was extremely fearful of math and science. I was told I was never good at it, so I just kind of backed away. I was an athlete, so I was like, I got my sports Um, I liked student government, and that was my jam. Um, But working in this organization, I realized I was a STEM girl from the age of eight when I was helping my grandfather solder in our garage. Wow. And learning how to make the best, you know, uh, tomatoes, Jersey tomatoes, right soil, you know, combination with water and soil and um, fertilizer and all of that. Like I was doing that at such a young age and it was STEM. Mm -hmm. So I always think that if that experience was nurtured and if that experience was validated as STEM growing up, And then just my innate nature of being curious. I like taking things apart, figuring out how things work. I could be in a whole different place, Um, you know, maybe working on space stuff. Um, Yeah. It's so interesting to me. But um, I didn't know that until I started working for this organization, that those things indeed were part of STEM and my STEM identity and journey. 
was it a teacher or who was telling you that you weren't good at math or good at STEM? Yeah, it was a teacher. I mean, when you think about the thing that provides, you know, insights on whether you're good or bad at something in school is usually grades, right? So if I'm not getting great grades and I wasn't in math and science, you know, my teacher was just like, well, you're just not good at it, Mm. right? Versus, you know, now we have growth mindset theory and utilizing the attributes of this of STEM. So it's not just about the concepts, but it's about all these other attributes about problem solving and critical thinking that I had at a very early age, but there was no alignment of like, that still is good insights toward a STEM journey Mm -hmm. um, while you continue to hone your concept skills around the grades that you get in those courses too. Right. And when running Space Club, which is, you know, like a space themed program, I found those that where the worst students traditionally often did the best in these engineering design challenges because they would get in and persevere through like the building activity. And it gave them a different kind of confidence to be like, wait, I can do science. (laughs) Just because that grade doesn't show it, maybe they have test anxiety or they, you know, learn in a different way. And so I love, you know, this work that you're doing with TechBridge Girls. So how are you empowering girls and getting them into this STEM journey? Yeah, you know, for TechBridge Girls, we've been around for 23 years. And for most of the life of TechBridge Girls, we've been considered a traditional after-school program. We provide STEM curriculum and programming in the after-school space. And our team used to deliver that programming after school in school districts mostly. When I came into the organization, I just saw the power of two things, our curriculum, which is gender responsive and culturally relevant, and our training, like how we can engage others to utilize the same type of pedagogical approach and theory to equitable STEM. And I was like, if we could get this in the hands of way more people, we can go from serving 800 girls in a year to millions of girls in a year. And that literally birthed a really bold goal to serve a million girls by 2030 and really reevaluated how we would deliver that programming. So That is what TechBridge Girls in the last three years has been doing. We equip other out-of-school time educators, which is traditional educators or youth workers, with our equitable STEM curriculum so that they can either deliver programming in their after-school program or in their community-based program or organization, or we just train educators on how to have effective, equitable pedagogy in the concept and context of STEM. Can you give me kind of a brief overview of what that means? So if I'm, say, a middle school teacher and I teach a STEM program or a STEM club, how can I be mindful of that and being inclusive of my different types of students? Yeah, you know, we take it vary from internal self-awareness to external system navigation, right? So like 
how do we show up as an educator so that we can be more equitable? So how do we assess our own biases? How do we understand the community in which we are, are serving more effectively? How do we become a co-learner, right? You're not here to be the smartest one in the room, but you also need to be a co-learner so that you can adapt and make your curriculum and delivery relevant to the experiences in the backgrounds of the people who you are serving in that moment. Um, then it is really about um, STEM education, the actual discipline and the concepts and the pedagogy. We really want to reimagine the pedagogy because we know that science, technology, engineering, and math disciplines are often approached from a rote learning perspective, mm -hmm. but also have a white male construct context to it. So how do we broaden and make sure it's hands-on, experiential, uh, project-based in its essence so that people can learn by doing? And how do we ensure that it broadens the the, the context. So we're not just talking about Albert Einstein or a white male type of individual or figure, but we're talking about the Gladys West of the world who we would be literally nowhere without her GPS right. Te technology, right? And putting those type of figures at the center so that our girls are building a sense of STEM identity, um, as a positive STEM identity as they're learning. Um, and then it's really about awareness around the system, right? We are in um, navigating systems that were not built or designed for specifically work from our perspective, girls of color um, living in marginalized communities. So what does that mean? What does that mean around access? What does that mean for a student to show up in the class? What does that mean for the level of rigor that they're getting in their science and math courses? Understanding that context will allow uh, the educator or the youth worker be more um, effective in their delivery of their STEM education program, no matter if it's a TechBridge Girls programming or the training that we provide them over a six-month time frame. So it's just a small problem that you're tackling. This is small. <laughs> Just a small, but I will say it's a, not a small problem, but it also is not rocket science, hmm. the problem that we're trying to um, change. I mean, this is about access and equity, and it's about building in, in a for-profit world, building a product that a community that you want to buy actually buys. And what do you do with that? You study the group, you design for the group, you put that group in the center of it, and then you build a product so that they are excited, engaged, willing to, you know, use all of their, uh, you know, lunch money or, you know, weekend babysitting money to buy that thing, right? Mm -hmm. I wish we could have that same thoughtfulness around our education system, mm -hmm. because if we built the product, the system, the education system, with those individuals in mind and segmented based on who they are and their experiences, we would probably have better outcomes. So you mean instead of just having a one size fits all that we just plug into every school and every community, having it differentiated and supportive and adapted to each student, 
I think it starts with a teacher, right? And we've seen this movement where teachers are moving away from like traditional curriculum and textbooks and saying enough with the standardized testing, right? We need to put students first and they're seeking other avenues to whether, you know, sometimes they have to move outside of the classroom and go into an informal space. And I've personally seen a lot of teachers leave and say, I still want to teach, but I want to have the freedom to do what's right for my students. And that often is informal, right? Going to a nonprofit and running an after-school club. But I'm also gotten really frustrated because like looking at the data, there hasn't been much change, right? There, the numbers are pretty flat. <laughs> like what's, what are your thoughts on like how much progress we've made and what work is still left to do? Yeah, you know, like I think about this often because 25 years ago, when again, when I first started, with TechBridge Girls um, about seven years ago, you know, people would ask, always ask me, what's your STEM story? And I would talk about how I was part of the team that brought DSL for millennials and younger digital subscriber line. It's like when we had to use a cord to get high speeds. Right, right. Um, and I, <laughs> um, I was part of the team that made that a consumer product for one of the biggest telecommunications companies in the world, right? And I often think about like, that was like the start of my journey, but like that, that isn't, that isn't the start of um, the journey. This, the journey starts like in our space with our educators, right? And I want to just say first and foremost, I can only imagine how difficult it is to be an educator right now on so many levels. And the folks that continue to lean in and do what is needed for our students, I say thank you. Thank you for your persistence. Thank you for your resiliency. And, you know, we know that sometimes education can go so far. And then, but that's where then informal space picks up the slack right? We need to see it as a partner, or I like to call it, like, mm -hmm. we're in this relay race together, right? Like, you can only get us to certain places, and then, you know, tag us off with the baton for the oh, next like place, right? Because mm -hmm. when you're in informal space, you don't have the constraints of, of, you know, the tests, and the structures, and the bureaucracy, and the time crunch, and all of the things that that we are managing to, where we forget some of those critical uh, aspects like social emotional learning, experiential learning, um, being able to build community, being able to build identity, which is something that is innately structured in youth development, which is very prevalent in the informal learning space. Yeah. And the other aspect is the the environment that we are in right now, like I'm in Texas, right? There's, there's a lot of issues. And there was a recent ruling on DEI at the university level. They basically shut down all DEI programs. Um, there was the Supreme Court ruling that came out about affirmative action. What, what are your thoughts about this? And how is that going to impact our students? So, and this kind of goes back to your other question that I think I didn't fully answer, but policies help us recalibrate the inequities of the systems that perpetuate inequality. 
And so when we have policies like affirmative action being um, uh, taken away or these DEIs, it's messing up the recalibration to try to get us on a equal playing field, right? And I think about, I just um, was thinking about this the other day. Um, I think it was in the 80s, the Jobs and Manufacturing Act that was put in place. And it, that act actually advanced women in STEM. And when that act was taken away, that's when you actually start to see some of the declining numbers in STEM. Mm -hmm. So we know when policies are put in place, it allows us to start to recalibrate ourselves to a place to get us closer to e equality or equity, right? So for me, when I think about some of these rulings or even, you know, across the country where our educators are not even able to talk about equity or talk about historical truths about mm -hmm. our path, like all of that is doing is messing up the recalibration of the work of our ancestors and the you know current mothers and aunties that have paved the way that is trying to recalibrate and create a more equalized system. And I think that that's the impact is that the reality is you don't stop recalibrating until the thing is fixed. It right. took centuries for us to create these inequities. It's going to take generations for us to create more equity for us to move forward, right? right? Until we are in that place, we need policies, we need practices, we need awareness to ensure that we are just continuing to chip at the, the system of inequity that continues to perpetuate the like disconnect between those who have and those who have not, or those who have to work harder or those who have to just show up. Right. And I think the main message is that the problem that we started talking about hasn't been solved. So That's just right. because you're seeing these things roll back doesn't mean it's saying we are done. The work is done, you know, proceed forward. Everything's equal and is not the case. And the teachers can see that in their own classroom and their school environments. And at the college level where I'm at now, there's just a lot that needs to happen and needs to change. Mm -hmm. And so what we can control is ourselves and our own teaching and our own classroom. And we can link, you know, the TechBridge Girls website. What are other um, resources or ideas that you have for teachers that say, you know, I want to have a voice in this and I want to make a change, even if it's just with my own students? Absolutely. So TechBridge Girls in general, we offer a vast um, amount of resources to meet educators and youth workers where they are. So if your school or community-based organization is ready to have a um, TechBridge Girl programming within the school, you can contact us. We make it turnkey and provide you the resources, the training so that you can effectively deliver it. We also know that there's just a lot of STEM education out there. And people are taking everything from like Pinterest to, you know, Google and everything right. in between to 
cobble up some stuff. So if you're going to, if you have to do that, which is a reality because folks, educators are pulling on the resources that are accessible to them, right? Then we have training. Actually, um, we have applications open right now for our STEM equity learning community of practice. And that is a five to six month course um, that meets monthly that provides different um, practices and approaches to creating equitable STEM environments. And then, you know, we also just talk to folks to say, like, what can you do? Which you were right, Natasha, it always starts with us. So how do you keep an understanding on identity? Not only your identity, but the complexity and intersectionality of identities that you're going to be engaging with. People don't, I don't show up just as Black on Monday, a woman on Tuesday, mm -hmm. a girl that grew up in a low income household on Thursday. I bring, I come up with all of those things. And so, how does that identity um, manifest itself in the classroom? And then, how am I checking? my own bias of my identity of like how to engage effectively with that, right? Like my identity and experiences does not trump that person's identity experiences. So how can I be self-aware not to bring my biases? How can I embrace the intersectional of identities that show up in my class? And how can I be a co-learner in that process? We also want to encourage educators to be courageous and bold. And I know I don't say this lightly because I know educators, jobs are on the line, time safety is on the line, um, livelihood is on the line. And the reality is the only way to disrupt racism and oppressive behaviors is to stand up against them when you see it. Mm -hmm. And if you're questioning it, that means it's probably happening and it needs to either be confronted or it needs to be compassionately leaned into to be corrected, right? And so we that is really important. And I would say I know it is um, one of the hardest things um, that, that our educators are asked to do. You know, know our community. Right. Like if you are serving in a community that is not reflective of who you are from an identity perspective, then you have to be intentionally engaged in trying to broaden that understanding and horizons. And that's not asking and putting the burden on that person that you have access to, but that's doing your own research. So are you patronizing at BIPOC businesses? Are you seeking out BIPOC content that is created by BIPOC? BIPOC, Individual Black, Indigenous People of Color? And are you following um, BIPOC influencers on social media? We love um, Dr. Kalita uh, Bing. Um, she's a scientist, but just finding these influencers that are speaking about STEM equity is really important so that you have some context and some insight about the trajectory, the journeys. Um, and, you know, we always like to say this work is a marathon. As I said before, it took centuries to build these inequities. It's going to take generations to disrupt and break them. And so making sure you are caring for yourself, building a network of support around you, 
getting educated, but also knowing when to kind of step out and refresh yourself and re-energize yourself because it can be over-consuming if you don't pace yourself in this work. And I found that connecting, of course, with the students and listening to the students is important, but also the families. Mm-hmm. Um, my program started in a low-income majority Hispanic community, which I was not familiar with. And so I invited the families out to see what we're doing, what were the STEM projects. And that's when I got to know my kids and learned about their parents and the kind of environment they grew up in and what they were really into. And so you know, it's like little things, like the types of foods they eat. I had never experienced like Takis, right? Like <laughs> specific things that I'm like, oh, okay, so that's something I can connect with them and being more aware of how the social media, but also like Hollywood and portrays STEM in a certain way, um, very white and male. It's like the stereotypes are everywhere and we often don't realize it. It's just so normal. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think what you're doing is so important and I encourage teachers to check out your website, learn about that community you mentioned, if that's something they might want to join, but also just to reflect on their own teaching. And if there's just like little tweaks that you can do, you mentioned Albert Einstein, is there someone else they can feature (laughs) as a scientist of the week, right? There's just about exposing students to different types of role models that they can see themselves in is just one little thing that can have so much impact um, for students. And so one final question here is, can you give us a success story? Let's end on a positive note yeah. on a success story from TechBridge Girls. Absolutely. Um, well, I would love to tell you about our former alum, Eileen Iningas, or our former TechBridge girl, um, now alum, Eileen Iningas. Um, She started with us in our middle school program in East Oakland, California. She came to TechBridge Girls because we offered free pizza after school. And she did not know that that free pizza was going to open up a whole new world for her future that she could have never imagined. As a Latina, you know, she grew up with some aspects of very stereotypical gender norms in her family. So as she was going through TechBridge Girls and learning what it meant to be an engineer and to like science, you know, her parents were like, well, girls don't do that. And so, and again, it's, it's not a fault. It just is cultural and, you know, Tech Rich Girls helps provide additional insight and hopefully broaden that, that perspective. Um, But through meeting her role models with Tech Rich Girls, continuing with our program through high school, she was able to be accepted into UC Berkeley um, and studied data science. And ironically, when I came back and uh, started with the organization and I was meeting alum, she was about to graduate. And I was super excited to meet her. And we talked and I was like, well, where are you going? Like, what big job do you have? Like lined up or jobs actually lined up yeah. that you're going to choose from. And she goes to me um, kind of in a shy way and um, a little kind of embarrassed. It's like, I don't have a job lined up. And I'm like, wait a minute, UC Berkeley, data yeah. science, Latina, 
You know, we live 40 miles from the Mecca of Silicon Valley. How are you kidding me that you don't have a job? But this is one thing that we have to remember too, is that oftentimes as girls of color, women of color, we put our heads down. We get good grades. We stay out of trouble. We focus on getting to the end. Whereas sometimes our other peers are networking, being able to have internships because they can take the summer and not work or not take the extra classes so that they can ensure that they get through college in time so they're not extending additional resources to the family, financial resources to the family. So she left a UC, you know, graduated UC Berkeley without having that social capital. But because she was so connected to TechBridge Girls, we activated our social capital for her. And ironically, we were able to get her multiple interviews. And she ended up settling with the organization or the company that she had her first field trip with TechBridge Girls, Chevron. And she is now a data analyst for them. She travels the world at her leisure. She moves from California to Texas, and she's actually this month getting right back, coming back to California to, to live. But she has a whole different outlook on life. And she continues to pour back into TechBridge Girls as a mentor, but also an ambassador for the impact of organizations like us that are you know, paving the way for them to realize their STEM aspirations, even when they didn't know it was an aspiration from day one. I love that. And I you bring up a whole other topic, which is we engage and aspire girls, anyone to go into STEM, but do we prepare them for that journey? And that's what I have had the the hardest thing to figure out, right? Like I can get girls excited, right? I launch a rocket and everybody's sign me up, right? I want to be in a STEM program, but keeping them engaged and passing that math test, getting into that college, right? There's just so much, especially for first generation students that have no idea how to navigate the system. Do I, what are, what is an internship? What does that even mean? How do I pay for all of these expenses? What's a scholarship? Like it's, you know, a very daunting task. And that's where going back to the families, if they don't have experience and don't know how to provide that support, that's another whole issue to tackle. Um, and it sounds like she might be a, a leader, kind of like share her own story with girls coming up behind her. Absolutely. And she does that willingly and at any ask that we give ask of her. So we are very grateful for her to continue to be part of the TechBridge Girls family and community. I love that. Well, I said that was my last question, but I have one more. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I just want to end with like, what's next? So she's like a shining star in your organization. What do you hope for TechBridge Girls in the next, say, five years that could happen? Well, for the next five years, we are on this rocket ship focused effort to reach a million girls by 2030. And what that means is that we are putting more equitable 
gender responsive, culturally relevant curriculum in the hands of youth workers and educators across this country to really advance and ensure that our girls are persisting successfully and authentically in their own identities and their brilliance toward their STEM aspirations. And so that means that not only are we providing more programming, but we're also tackling these really hard system questions through our advocacy work, which is like, we call our belonging blueprint. How are we looking at data so it's more relevant to the communities that we want to serve? Like you said, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. If you really want to move the needle, you have to be intentional. Two, how are we getting more resources in the communities in which TechBridge girls serve? So, you know, Title I school districts specifically, we know they're under-resourced. We don't want our girls to feel like they have to go somewhere else that doesn't look like them, that doesn't validate them, that doesn't understand them to get quality STEM education. We need to invest in it in their communities and invest in the workforce that delivers those programming in that community. And then we need to reimagine these STEM spaces. Our girls need a sense of belonging. That is the biggest barrier. We need to stop talking so much about representation and talk more about how to create spaces of belonging so that our girls' identity is reflected and that they feel like they were thought of in the design and the makeup in the place in the first place, right? And so that is what we are really trying to tackle over the next five years. And that is kind of our beaming guiding light um, to get us to a million girls by 2030. Oh, I love it. Well, I wish you the best of luck on that journey. We are here to support you. Please let us know how we can help <laughs> kind Absolutely. of support this mission. Um, and I also just launched a nonprofit with Space Club. And so I will be reaching out to get advice <laughs> about the nonprofit world. But we are on the same. I think we have very similar missions and visions with what STEM can be for all students. Uh, so thank you so much, Nicole, for joining me today. I hope we have you back someday. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Natasha and the STEM space community. It has been an honor to chat with you. And thank you all the educators out there for just being our heroes in so many ways in this moment. We need you. Please stick to it. I know it's hard, but our students and youth need your brilliance, your love, your compassion, and your willingness to get them to the dreams that they inspire to be. And we're here to help on that journey. So please reach out. But for now, STEM Space out. Do you have a question about STEM education or how to teach it? Email us at info at vivifystem.com. We would love to help and maybe even discuss it on a future podcast episode.